0: That's chapter 18. Uh, You pray for me, all right? All right, verse one, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation. They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus would come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles." And departed thence, and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. In this story, Paul is starting his ministry in the city of Corinth, which is where you get your famous epistles, first and second Corinthians. Within that city, how he started out his ministry was he was working as a tent maker with Aquila and Priscilla, During that time, he was trying to preach to the Jews, trying to open their hearts to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, just working hard like any typical Bible-believing church would do, working in a job, trying to witness to people. And then one time, he just got frustrated with it all at verse 6, and then he said, you know, I'm clean from you. Your blood be on your own heads. I've done what I could to preach at you. However, he was not discouraged, and the Lord told him that, hey, I've got something for you still in this city. I have much people in this city. And that encouraged Paul. So then Paul, he said, okay, I'll just keep serving God, keep teaching and preaching. And he did that. He just kept on going for the Lord. That's how his ministry in Corinth went along. If there's one thing you know about the Apostle Paul when you read this passage, he's definitely not a quitter. There's one thing you know about the Apostle Paul, I don't think he even knows the meaning of quitting. Now something uh, out of everybody that you read in the Bible, there's something about this guy that keeps driving him to keep preaching, teaching the word of God, to keep serving. So something just kept driving him something kept pressing him as a matter of fact didn't you know in the bible i could be wrong but the majority of the times that shows about being pressed being determined having a purpose and being driven out of everybody in the bible is the apostle paul bible says he was determined the bible says he was I think it, the word was a suede or a something like that. A saide, I think. Uh, another verse where it says he was purposed in spirit, uh, right here. He was pressed in the spirit. Uh, there was something else in the Bible where it says nothing would uh, move him. Nothing would move him when he was going to head toward Jerusalem. Amen. What kept him going? Which is very important to understand. What also made him not lose a shout. What made him, in spite of being beaten down outwardly, I mean, he was persecuted. He's more worn out than me, to be honest, this man. But this man, he had something to him, and the people knew he had something. He didn't have to preach at his very best, because the Bible says that uh, his outward demeanor, he was weak to the people, but they found something spiritually powerful behind him. What was it that he had that kept him going, that kept him very powerful? The important thing to know about the Apostle Paul, which may be different from Jeremiah, which may be even different from David, and a lot of other good saints in the Bible, what made him very different was that he always had a goal in mind. He always had a purpose in mind. He always had, hey, I am going to, I have this task that I want to complete, and I ain't stopping until I do this. Like, he was fully determined to do this no matter what, this guy. So that was the Apostle Paul's life. He was fully determined. He was fully purposed. Nothing was going to stop him. So then, we have to ask ourselves when we live day to day, do we have goals? Do you have a goal today? Is there, uh, when, your end days to, uh, when your day ends today, will you end today satisfied? Would I dare say that most of us, when we go through day to day, we feel like the day ended unsatisfied. Where we feel like, you know, I didn't end my day well. See, the thing is, the difference with you and I and the Apostle Paul is that he had a goal in mind every single day. That's what kept driving him. That's why he didn't get discouraged. That's why he didn't let outward factors or his weakness prevent him from serving God. So he had a goal. He had a driven mindset. If you have a goal in mind, nothing's going to stop you. If you have an ambitious mindset, a, you know, a drive in you like, I want to complete this. I'm going to do this. I have a strong desire on this one. Then nothing of heaven or hell itself will move you and you're going to keep going. So that's very important to keep in your mind. That's why you feel like your life is meaningless. Do you understand? You feel like your life is meaningless because you don't have something there some goals there to make it meaningful. So I hope that this sermon will be very helpful to you and that you can find meaning every day. And I mean every day, no matter how bad your day is. And that uh, you can accomplish more things for God. You can end your day and your whole life satisfied. And at the judgment seat of Christ, you feel satisfied. You feel like you accomplished something. Paul, there was no doubt he was mind-driven. He was goal-oriented. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Do we have that in our day-to-day living? Let's pray. Will you pray with me? Father God, uh, fill within me Holy Spirit power. Wash away my sins with your blood. Through my weakness, may your power be made stronger. May you touch and change these people's lives. May you get the full glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want us to look at verse uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4. The Bible says in verse 1, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now, when I look at verse 1 through 4, I picture me. I picture you. This is a typical everyday Christian. I'm not talking about the Apostle Paul who's planning churches here. Notice this is an average Christian here. This is a man who's working in a full-time job, trying to make a living, trying to just go through another day, while at the same time trying to witness to anybody, trying to be a good testimony for Jesus. It's just trying to do the work of the Lord. That sounds like an everyday Christian, doesn't it? So notice right here, what you see is not the Apostle Paul who's planting churches, but rather a typical everyday Christian who's doing his duty and service for the Lord. Now, that's one thing is that what we want is, we want that kind of faithfulness. We want that kind of consistency. There's no uh, big flashy show, no big Great Awakening Revival meeting out of your life. It's not like God will send fire down from heaven every single day in your life. This sounds for real, your life. This sounds like your life every single day, how you're trying to uh, live on for the Lord. Now, I wonder this. In verse 1 through 4, notice the, distinguish- uh, the distinction with that one. Verses 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Notice, that's not a typical everyday average life of a Christian. That's revival. That's fruits coming in. That's a mighty working. Uh, Look at verse 10. This is great. For I am with thee and no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Oh, For God to tell you that, hey, I'm going to use you for something big. I'm using you. And people are saying God's using you. That don't sound like a typical everyday thing for a Christian. Working in a job and then trying to serve the Lord. This is pretty big right here. What's the distinction with these two scenarios? I believe there is one thing that made it different. I believe there is one thing. Notice that there was something different that happened at verse 5. See that difference? And when Silas and Timotheus would come from Macedonia... Paul was pressed in the spirit. You know what that means? That he, he was determined. Something moved him. I don't see that verses 1 through 4. This is after verses 1 through 4. Verse 5, he was determined. Verse 5, he was moved. Verse 5, he, was, uh, he had a goal, a purpose in mind. And then in verse 8 and 10, you see the goals accomplished. You see the fruits. You know, the thing is this, is that uh, obviously God wants faithfulness, consistency. And obviously our Christian life is not all flashy shows or revivals or fruits. It is literally verses 1 through 4. That is our average life. But the problem is, is that I wonder if we're so lost in our service for the Lord that I wonder, we wonder to ourselves, we ask ourselves, and there's no excitement in my life. We say... Man, I don't see the Lord moving. We feel like we didn't end our day well. You know, knowing the Apostle Paul's attitude in verses 1 through 4, you know, I mean, if you picture yourself like the Apostle Paul where you get nobody saved, and maybe that's what I'm assuming from verses 1 through 4, right? No one got saved. No one came to church. No one was uh, doing something. All he's doing is just working with two brethren and then uh, working as tent makers and then just... Everyday preaching and teaching serving God. That's it. So he's doing these everyday typical stuff as a Christian. And I wonder by doing that. Wouldn't he kind of get like, man, I don't see souls saved. Wouldn't he kind of get discouraged? Wouldn't he kind of feel like, man, I'm not doing anything for the Lord. I mean, I gotta be doing something. Verse 8 and 10. Oh, I'm sure he's encouraged. I'm sure he got the goals, and then I'm sure that he's seeing fruits and all that. The difference is this, is that verse 5, there was a determination in his spirit. You know, the thing is this, we should come to church every Sunday, and we should read our Bibles and pray every day. We should go out witnessing for the Lord. And no, you're not going to see people flooding on the altar. No, you're not going to see people receiving Christ every day. No, you're not going to uh, have the Lord meet you as you're in close communion with him and he's going to show you or uh, make you feel something meaningful. I mean, the Lord doesn't do that. So don't get me wrong. But because we are so lost into that typical service every day, I wonder now we we lost meaning in it. We lost our excitement. We're so lost in being faithful for the Lord and then being content with what I have and stuff like that, that there's no meaning, no excitement, nothing that the Lord's driving you towards. You know what Bible-believing Christians want, all right? So don't get me wrong. We should be found faithful in our typical service for God. No matter how low it is or you know how dry it is, we should be found faithful. But we just shouldn't be so lost in that that we have no goal in mind and never occur in our heads, I want to do something better for the Lord. I want to make sure that souls get saved. I want to make sure people get on the altar. I want to make sure every seat gets filled. We lose our goal, our drive. I never lost that even when I dropped to two people after five years. I never lost that in my mind. It's so urgent and important that the goal is in there that, hey, I... Want this done, this done, this done, this done for the Lord. And I ain't stopping. Think about it. Uh, How can you get all these fruits in this church without goals? It takes people with goals where you can get a soul count on the list. Where you can get more ministries planted. Where you can have a blowout. Where you can have all this stuff. It takes people with dreams, visions, and goals. But without that, then we would probably have a typical Sunday service and Wednesday, and that's it. Wow. How do we get all this in the announcements today? We're doing this, we're doing church trips. pastors doing 20-something, 30-something meetings, and then people online, wow, everybody hears that. How, how do we do that? There's a goal in mind. I ain't stopping until every single soul in this planet over here will get saved and receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ain't stopping. I'm not going to just say, well, I'm happy with only five people and that's it. I'll die for Jesus this way. No, I have a goal in mind. I'm going to reach everybody out there. Amen. Do you have a purpose? Do you have a drive? Or you're just lost in your faithful service for the Lord. Oh, that's and that's why there's no power. You know what the problem with Bible believers nowadays? Because we're so lost in this. Like Dr. Vince Massa hit the nail on the head. We're so lost in this, lay to say an apostasy That we're just thinking, i just got to keep fighting and just be faithful and that's it. And we lost our drive. We lost our goal where, no, I want a revival in my life and in this church. And I want to do something for God. We never lose that goal. But you can, find, you can be faithful in your Christian service. And that's why some of you get jealous of other fellow Bible believers who are bringing more fruits than you. You know why? Because you're content with your faithful service you know, for the Lord. But then here's the brother or sister who's driving, 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 and the Lord's giving them fruits. And when you look at that, you think that they compromised. They're fleshly. You know, they're not faithful like me. And then you start judging, critiquing them. Yeah, I know Bible believers. They act like that. Now, that's the problem with some Bible-believing Christians that they judge other people and they're like, oh, you know, this and that and that. Some of them are just deader than a doornail. They just don't have that drive, that desire to keep serving God. I'm not belittling small churches. I know what that was like. Okay? I'm one of them. But I don't lose that fire, that drive, that goal. If I was going to die with two people in church, I was going to die that way. But bless God, I'm going to die with two people trying and keep reaching for the goal rather than giving up and not having any goal in my life. That's good. Yeah. You know, this is a miracle what we have in the Bay Area. Don't you think so? It takes goals. It takes a drive. It takes a fire. But you don't have that, do you? You're content with your life. Your job, your family, your service for the Lord. You can die that way, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I'm going to keep driving on for the Lord. Amen. That's why you have no meaning in life. If you're, Look, think about this. If your faithful service for the Lord, you know, if what you're doing now, your typical everyday average Christian life, if that's the Lord's will, shouldn't you find meaning in that then? Shouldn't that be meaningful to you? Shouldn't you be satisfied, happy? Why aren't you then? Come on. See, why aren't you? You should be. Shouldn't that be your goal? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Maybe that's not your goal. Okay. Maybe you never had any goal when you're serving the Lord. You're just, I just got to serve the Lord and just do this, that's it. No, no, no. You have to have a goal. Yeah. I even had a goal with a small church. I'm going to preach the best sermon to two people ever. I'm going to teach the best teaching to two people ever. I'm, if, even if I have two people in church, I'm going to witness to a hundred people during that week. You have to have a goal in mind. But people don't have goals. They just serve the Lord. That's it. Do you know how you even serve the Lord? Because there are goals in there. My goal is I'm going to read the Bible. My goal is I'm going to pray. My goal is I'm going to go to church. My goal is you have to have goals. But if you have no goal, you're just a machine going to work, living life every day, just the same way as a machine with your Bible reading and prayer every day. Right there, right there. Right no, I don't, I'm not content with the typical average Christian life, just going with the flow. I need to have a purpose. I need to have a drive in mind. Even if I have just two people, I don't care. I'll never lose my drive or fire. I don't care if I turn to 80 or 85. I ain't losing my drive. That's why I'm still a little crazy as an Asian for my culture. Yeah, you know, I I have a drive there. I ain't losing that. I ain't losing it after a billion years. Otherwise, I might as well shoot drugs, live my life in sin. Why would I do this? Because there's a meaning here. There's something that means a lot to me here. Good testimony. We look at uh, verse 5 here. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit, testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Paul, he was goal-oriented. He was determined. But notice something sparked him to do that, right? Here he was just doing his everyday thing, just preaching, teaching to the Jews, and then working in a job, just... You know, like an everyday typical Christian trying to be faithful, trying to do his daily thing. But this part was different. Verse 5, all of a sudden he was pressed in the spirit and when he was testifying to the Jews, this, he testified greater effort, testified more effectively. Why? Verse 5 said, when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, something there stirred him up. Have you read your uh, epistle uh, to the Corinthians? He was in Corinth, right, Paul? Can you imagine pastoring that kind of a church? You know what the church of Corinth was? What I'm reading to you from Acts 18, 1 through 4, that kind of a everyday Christian life, that is a Laodicean life, Laodicean church that Paul was actually in, just like you and I. He was pastoring a church, look, Corinth, man worldly, messed up, accent. who wants to pastor that church? Basically, it's the Church of California he was pastoring. Church of Corinth, that's what he was doing. In that church where he just had so many problems, where it's just wearing him out, do you remember in that epistle, he mentioned about Macedonia. He mentioned, man, these people in Macedonia gave a lot to the Lord, gave their service to the Lord. Why, why won't you guys do it? Why don't you guys do it too? He heard of, he heard of their testimony, yeah. their report from Paul, uh, Silas and Timotheus, how the, the church in Macedonia, how they're fired up, how they didn't lose a shout, how they're serving God faithfully. And Paul, hearing all that, he just gets pumped up. Wow! And then he... He goes back to church. So basically, Paul, he just goes back to church and then just preaches even better. He just stirs them up because he got the fire from there. You know that church in Macedonia, if you looked at Acts 16, you know what that region of Macedonia, what one of the cities was? It was Philippi. You know what the Bible said uh, about the Philippians? They were zealous for the Lord. They were on fire for God. Philippi was just uh, so much on fire that Paul even said, Man, I have confidence in you guys, in your service. That's how encouraged he was because he received that encouragement. I mean, look at Philippians 1. Philippians 1. Something he saw in that church made him goal oriented, made him driven again. And he's like, Man, I got to take this back to my home church now in Corinth. Yeah. Basically, he, he went to a different church, so to speak, saw their revival meeting, and he's like, man, when I get back to my home church, I'm going to bring that fire back. Yeah. Basically, he, after he saw a summer camp from a different church from different brethren, he was like, man, when I come back home, I'm going to bring that fire with me. Basically, after he attended a blowout meeting, seeing different Christians and brethren, he's like, man, I got to take this back to my own home, to my life. That's what happened. That's why he was goal-oriented. He saw something there. That's why he wanted to bring it home. In Philippians chapter 1, notice right here that at verse uh, in 25, I preached this sermon to you before. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs they he stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He was confident that they were striving for the gospel. They were uh, going, undergoing persecution, yet they stood strong for the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go through something like that, you can't help but have goals, commitments, and purposes in mind after meeting in a service or a church like that. What happens after a blowout meeting? What happens after seeing different Bible believers catching fire? When you come on the altar, you don't come here without goals. You come here with goals in mind. You come here with determination and purpose of heart and say, I'm going to make these changes and do this and this and this. Do you know how you you want your goals? You want to be purpose-driven like Rick Warren says? You know how you get that? You need to be. You need to hear a good report from brethren. You need to be around brethren. You need to be at different churches. You need to be with uh, around these different meetings, these special occasions where God is moving. Some of you who haven't tried the street preaching, maybe you should try that out. Yeah. Yeah. See if that doesn't fire you up, and then you want to come to the next one. Some of you who haven't uh, been to the blowout yet or to the summer camp, you should try. Some of you who haven't traveled with pastor to those different churches, Amen. you should see what I see. And why do you think I come back here with more fire and determination? Amen. Let's be excited about October. Yeah. You know, you gotta realize this, is that if you, want if you want goals in your life, if you want that fire stirred up, you need to be around different Bible-believing brethren and meetings and stuff like that. That way you can get your goals awakened and determined again. Amen. Why do you think we meet even at a Sunday service? To have our goals awakened. Our determination refreshed again. It's so important you need to be around brethren with good report. You won't have goals if you're stuck at Acts eighteen one through 4, just your typical everyday work and serving God by yourself. You're not going to get your goals uh, realigned or awakened again. You know, there are days I just don't want to preach. I really don't. Then I you know what I do? I have to watch other preachers, listen to other preachers. Then I love to preach again. Right. My goals get awakened again. I'm I'm gonna preach this well, this part well, that part well. It's so important that you need to get your goals awakened. To do so, you need to turn to the brethren. Turn to those spiritual resources that can that you can see that you can hear, that you can even feel and get the fire in you and then take that back home with you. Verse 6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth, I will no longer be an apostle. Did I read that right? I didn't read that right, did I? And verse 6, But that's what a lot of Christians do, see. What they do is when they're determined, oh man, I'm going to sing for the Lord, I'm going to play for the Lord, I'm going to preach for the Lord, I'm going to teach for the Lord, I'm going to undergo discipleship. When they have that goal, all of a sudden, at verse 6, they get opposed. It's called busyness, it's called depression, it's called life, it's called uh, discouragement. It's called suffering, it's called trial, it's called health deficits. When things oppose you in this life, all of a sudden your goal is lost. If there's one thing that I like about this church is they have a fire and a desire. But my question to you is, why is it not continuing? Why is it gone? You know why? Something opposed you. Something opposed you. Maybe something, someone, and maybe a certain timing. But I don't know what it is, but something opposed you where you lost your goal in your fire. It's good you have a desire, but you can't just have it every fickle moment that your flesh feels it. When things even oppose you, you need to say, you know what? I'm going to keep on going for the Lord. You know what the Apostle Paul, he he said right here, you know, he never said, I quit the ministry. No, he said right here at verse 6 you know, uh, when they opposed him, he's like, from henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And then look at verse 7, all right? So that means he's not preaching to the Jews, all right? I'm done with you, Jews. You rejected Jesus Christ. I'm done with you. Verse 7, and he departed thence, entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose what? House joined hard to the synagogue. That's a Jew there. If he ain't a Jew, then what are you going to do with verse 8? And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, right. believed on the Lord with all his house. Look at that right there. That's good. How about that? You know what I, You know what went on right here? I'll tell you what went on right here. He didn't lose his desire and goal, yeah. even though he was opposed. Right. You ever done that? Yeah. Oh, your pastor never did that, right? Things opposed him in his life, you know. Oh, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do that. But he does it anyway. Right. Why? Why? There's a goal there. There's a fire. I know, you can even say that. Oh, I can't preach, you know. Oh, I can't teach. Oh, I can't sing. How many times have you said that? You know, oh, no, I don't think I can do that for the Lord. No, that timing doesn't feel right. Oh, I'm not sure. And, but you do it anyway. You know, I used got a goal of fire there. If you say it, fine. But don't do it that way. So if you say, I'm not going to do it, that's okay. Go ahead and let it out and pray to the Lord. Then repent, get right with God, and then just do it anyway. All right. If you just have to say I can't do it, I don't want to. Go ahead, fine. All right. But uh, you know what? Repent, get right with God, and get back to serving God. Look well, what Paul did. I ain't preaching to you Jews. I'm done with you. And then look at that. He wants some Jews to the Lord. Amen. Here's the thing that when you read that book, why? Didn't Paul get discouraged from his goal? Because Romans 9 said, I wish that I was accursed for my kinsmen to the flesh, the Jews. In Romans 10, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You know what that, you know what he said? Listen, his goal, his desire was super, super strong. He was willing to burn in hell for it. How many of you have that kind of a desire and goal? I'll tell you what, I'll tell you up front, no, I don't. I'd be the first one to sing, I'm not going to hell, and thank God for that. But notice, why do you think Paul never quit? His desire was stronger than his fear of discomfort. You know what your problem is? I know America has a problem, which is consumer desire But I really believe that's not the main issue. I believe their issue more is their fear of discomfort. Their desire is not strong enough. Because even if they had a consumer desire, if there was a discomfort there, uh, they don't want to go through it. They quit easily. They whine. They'll find some other easier route for their comfort. Well, our problem is, you know what your problem is? I'll tell you this, or I'll probably not say this in other sermons because it may not sound scriptural, but this one sure will sound scriptural. You're not selfish enough. You're not selfish enough to do what you want for the Lord. That desire ain't strong enough. You chicken out. Something opposes you and then you just yield and you cower and you're like, oh, I'm not doing it. You're not selfish enough. You have a desire so strong, so powerful that not nothing in heaven or hell is gonna move me from doing this thing. Something that you're willing to lose your life for. If you can't lose your soul in hell for that one, at least lose your life for it. Does that desire, that goal, mean anything to you? If it didn't mean that much to you, it probably didn't mean really that much to you. You say, I have a goal, I have a desire. No, you really don't. Because if you really did, you'd do it no matter what. No matter what. Where's your selfishness, huh? Where's your desire? Where's like, I want to do that no matter what? Another thing that... uh, verse 6 is that you know even though he couldn't get his desire at verse 6 you know I can't win my own people to the Lord he didn't say I'm going to quit From henceforth I will no longer be an apostle he never said that he said at verse 6 when they uh, posed him he said from henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles Gentiles. he didn't go well I'm going to quit soul winning no he's like If you Jews won't listen to me, I'm going to go to Gentiles then. What did he do? He just switched goals. That's it. You know, know, uh, the thing is this, is that here I am teaching, sometimes two people in church. Sometimes I have my own prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, those were the days, yeah. (laughs) But during that time, I wanted to teach them the best, give them the best teaching. But then that goal couldn't be accomplished every day. Not a lot of people could hear or see that, how great the right doctrine is, the teaching of the Word of God, how interesting that book is. Had to go through dull services sometimes, and I'm like, man, that's my goal. I want them to see how amazing that book is. So then, because I didn't get that goal, in my fifth year in the ministry, I was like, oh, okay, I'll no longer teach the Word of God. No, I just switched goals. Well, I'm going to go out soul winning five times a week. Amen. I, went to every, I went to college campuses. I went out on the street. I went to downtown. I'll hold a sign by myself if I have to. And then I'll go, I'll go to the, uh, uh, the Salvation Army and other ministry that I can find. I'm going to win the most souls than anybody that I can in the Bay Area. Amen. That was my goal. So I just switched Goals. Oh, you know, oh, I, nothing to do for the Lord. Nothing to do for the Lord. Plenty to do for the Lord. If your goal didn't work, switch a goal. Find a different goal. Yeah. And let me show you something right here, all right? So my soul winning increased immensely. My witnessing increased immensely. My apologetic skill increased immensely. It increased immensely. But it complemented, listen... It complemented my first goal as well with teaching the word of God. Paul, even though he switched goals, look at right here. Notice at verse 8, that the last part of verse 8 said, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. See that? That's his new goal, right? His new goal, Gentiles. I'm going to make sure those Gentiles get saved. But his first goal complemented as well. Verse, the beginning of verse 8, Jews got saved. Amen. You know what the Lord wants to do with you? Wow. Who would have thought that I'll be doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and this came from witnessing to so many people. Yeah. Yeah. From my first goal of teaching, and God turned it into something where everybody around the world can watch it. Amen. That went beyond my goal. You know what that is? That's the Lord. That's the Lord doing something. But you need to switch goals and you'd be surprised how the Lord can use that to complement your first goal. And those two can be powerful assets to each other that the Lord can mightily use. That's better than no goal, isn't it? If you have no goal because you got opposed, you couldn't do that. If I quitted at year five at the ministry, I couldn't do this to you. You got to realize that goals are so important in your life. Don't be discouraged when you get opposed. Rule number one, be stinking selfish. You're not selfish enough. All right, no matter, and nothing's going to change your stubborn mind on that. Number two, you need to switch goals. All right? If that first goal didn't work for you, then try out a second goal. Plenty of things to do for the Lord. If you look at uh, verse 9, this is a very important part I want to cover. Verse 9. And spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. You know, Paul, he had a goal in mind. He got this accomplishment. God said, I have much people in this city. That's encouraging. Man, he was able to accomplish that much. Notice that Paul was able to serve the Lord, right? But it was in a vision. Can I repeat that again? Notice that when Paul was serving the Lord at verse 9, then spake the Lord to Paul. So that shows Paul is going to follow what God told him to do, right? right? When Paul was following what God told him to do, notice the wording of it, it was in a vision. You know, I'm not talking about a literal vision where you see God face to face. Those don't don't work in this dispensation in the church age anymore. But there's another meaning toward vision if you read that word of God. Come on, that's good. You know what the Bible says? Is that where there is no vision, the people perish. You know what that means? That means that you have a vision, you have a goal, you have a desire in mind. Here's the thing. A lot of us serve God, but we don't do it with a vision. Okay. That's good. We just are stuck at Acts 18, 1-4, just serving God, just a typical average everyday Christian. You have to put your vision in that. Like I told you, no matter how small the result or the fruit is, you got to put a vision in that small little work. I don't care if it's cleaning toilets in the church. It's something small, and oh, I can't do much for the Lord. I only have one person. No, I'm going to make it the best A-grade service ever. Yeah. I have a vision that I'm going to make it the cleanest toilet that any person sat on. Now, I you know, maybe I'm being a little extreme, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. My point is, you got to have a visionary mindset. You have to have a vision. A driven bull in purpose, whether no matter how big or small is. You know, a guy won't give you the big ones. He don't give you the big ones because you don't have enough vision for even the smallest one. That's good. Yes. Amen. Why? Because if it gets too big, you lose your vision and you go, I'm okay now. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Oh, this is wonderful. And you know, this uh, I have my own little kingdom and I'm just going to reap up the benefits and pleasure. No, I'm not stinking dumb. I'm not going to be stinking lazy just reaping up benefits. No, I'm going to keep driving on for the Lord. I have a vision to fulfill. I can get 1,000 people in the city of San Francisco. I'm not stinking done. I'll go to Sacramento if God call me there. I ain't done. I'm not like these little... Pa- I'm not like these... I'm, what I'm so upset with our churches nowadays and our pastors. They build a big kingdom. They got 1,000 people surplus... And they're living up the luxury. How can they take their ease in Zion when there are so many more souls dying and crying and burning in hell? They've lost their vision. That's right. the Amen. Oh, pastor, uh, don't you think that your teachings, you can tone it down now? I mean, you prove dispensational truth. Aren't you done? No, I ain't stinking done. There are more heretics to kick out there. Come on. I ain't done until I kick every rear end of that heretic out there and every wrong doctrine out there. Aren't you done with souls? Aren't you content with thousands? No, I ain't stinking done yet. Come on. That's the problem with us Bible believers. We're too content now. We're like, oh, this is fine for me. Or you're living up to your worldly benefits, even your spiritual benefits. How can we take our ease in Zion? We're not done yet. Where's our vision, man? Do you put God in a vision? Your service for the Lord in a vision? The strongest thing to do for the Lord is not just you. Okay, so listen to me. It might sound a little heretical at the beginning, but you'll get what I'm saying. The mistake many Christians make is they give up their desire for God's desire. No, there's something better than that. You've got to put your desire into God's desire. And that becomes the most powerful, energetic, motivating, driving, uh, goal-oriented thing that nothing can stop. That's why you're, not, you're, you're discouraged with your current service for the Lord, your typical everyday service for the Lord. You know why? Your desire's not in it. Right there. Because I sacrifice my desire for God's desire. No, He wants your heart in it. If your heart ain't in it, He don't even count it, maybe. He don't even want it, maybe. My vision, my desire must be combined with God's. And it becomes a driving addiction that nothing can stop me. So no matter how tired I am, you know, even if my flesh don't want to preach, there's something still in there that desire that's so strong. I just have to preach. preach. So I'm preaching at you today. Amen. Can't compromise on that one. Wow. I can't. It might be worse than Jeremiah. I can't picture my life saying I will not mention the name of the name of Jesus again. I can't picture that. I'll probably say that, you know, and after I'm done saying that, I'll probably repent within five minutes after that and say, oh God, oh Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Glory to God. How, how many times have my wife caught me guilty in doing that, you know? Oh, and then I talk in the flesh, oh, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, and then five minutes later I do it. I'm a horrible, I, I, I can't be Jeremiah, you know. Oh, I forsake the name of Jesus, I can't do that. I can only last five minutes on that. You'll see me repenting fast on the altar. This is good. It, I don't care how bad the preaching is from one preacher. Give me any random preacher who'll preach from the Word of God. You'll see me rushing on that altar, man. That's right, sir. That's right. Something in there. Why? Because it's my desire, even though I try to get rid of it. Right. Right. Yeah. This is good. Put your desire in with the Lord, it becomes so powerful. Well, my desire is not in it. That's your problem. See, you need to see how undesirable this wicked world, your flesh and the devil is. And you need to discover how desirable God is. You haven't discovered that. You haven't received that. The important part that I do want to cover is also the verse said, spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. See, it's not just putting... Our vision in the Lord. We've got to put the Lord in our vision. Paul's greatest strength was also his greatest weakness. Didn't you know that? Look at, look at right here. Acts. Uh, think about all the sins of Paul. Maybe the one you can think of after he got saved was his fight with Barnabas, right? Go to Acts 15. Acts 15. The most dangerous people in the church, listen, are the ambitious people. The people that want filled seats, lots of souls saved, getting accomplishments for the Lord. Wait a minute, Pastor. You just, told, you just got me stirred up to do that a while ago. Don't quench the spirit. No, you need to hear this. The problem is this, is that, like I said, you need to uh, put your vi- vision in the Lord but don't forget the other balance. You need to put the Lord in your vision. What the problem is, the devil's crowd are also ambition, ambitious. The devil's crowd also has a vision. They have goals. United Nations are doing the most demon-possessed evil thing ever because they have a driven goal. They want to bring world peace and safety. Look at how, how much crimes that they committed, how much immorality has increased from that mess. From an ambition from a vision, from a goal like that. What's the big difference? They didn't put God in there. You need to put God in your vision. But I want soul saved, I want seats filled up in the altar. No, 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 that's not what you gotta be looking for. What you gotta be looking for is, you need to put your vision in, you need to make sure God is in your vision. His will is in your goals. His will is in what you're doing right now. If you go against the will of God, you are in for a world of pain, buddy. Look at Acts 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us pray and see God's will if we should visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. No, no, no. That's not a goal-oriented person. Goal-oriented person is, let's just go to all the cities. See, he was... He had a purpose. He was driven, which is good. Which is good. The problem with Bible believers wait and pray on the Lord, and we do this. Don't get me wrong. You should have God's will in it. But a lot of you are just dead, stinking Calvinists, I'm sorry to say. Waiting for God to do something, make you feel a magic touch to do something for the Lord. What are you going to do? Every soul that you witness, God, uh, show me a sign where I should witness to that soul to witness to that person for crying out loud. So if you look at verse 36 right here, see, Paul didn't have that in mind. Let's just pray with the brethren and see, you know, if the Bible-believing leaders would approve of what wow. I, we do right here. See, he wasn't like that. He said, let's just do it. Wow. Yeah. So that's a good thing. But here's the problem. Verse 37, And pa- Barnabas determined he's goal-oriented yeah. 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 to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder. Paul's, uh, you know, Paul, he, he may not have to pray at verse 36, but he sure had to pray at verse 38. He didn't pray about it, did he? He just made up his mind no, 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 John Mark shouldn't go with us. Right, right. Did he pray? See, because Barnabas and Paul, these two guys, were so goal-oriented, purpose-driven that they didn't seek God's will in the matter. Notice that God's will is not shown anywhere in that passage. No Holy Spirit intervention there. When you don't see any Holy Spirit intervention, then you better question your goals, your current duties, if you're really in the will of God. Go to Acts sixteen. Acts sixteen. Here's bigger proof right here. Acts sixteen. Notice right here that the Bible says in verse seven. Verse seven after they were come to Mysia, they what? Uh, Say to go into Bithynia. See, they were like, okay, we're gonna go there. They were goal oriented, they were purpose driven. But the Spirit suffered them not. The Holy Spirit said, No. The Holy Spirit gave him a different vision at verse 9. Macedonia, that church of Philippi. You remember uh, when you look at the book of Acts? Chapter 18, when you go over there. Acts chapter 18. In verse 21, what did Paul say? Acts 18, 21. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. But I will return again unto you if God will. Look at that now. Now he's seeing, if the Lord wills, I'm not sure if it's his will, but I'm determined to go to Jerusalem anyway. You know that wasn't God's will, right? To go to Jerusalem? He lost two years of his ministry. Hey, Christian, look at your goals, your motives, your purposes. Is God's will in it? When's the last time you prayed for God's will to be in it? When's the last time you prayed, Lord, am I doing the right thing? There's that balance. Yeah. Did you done that? Yeah. Hey Christian, look at uh, your family life, your job life, and I'm talking about even what you're going to do this week. Yeah. Yeah. Is God's will in it? It's good, it's good. But you're so purpose-driven life like Rick Warren that everyone's doing whatever they just want, want to stink and do without God's will involved in it. And that's why you're in a world of hurt. The greatest asset and blessing is to be purpose-driven in God's will. The greatest pain and destruction that can be worse than even a deadbeat Christian is to be purpose-driven without God's will. All right, Acts 18. That was very important that I wanted to cover. Acts 18. We're in these two extremes quite often. We're in these two extremes quite often. Verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You know, Paul was able to last it out. When he was going to serve the Lord, when he was goal-oriented, he was purpose-driven, he continued. He didn't lose that fire. He didn't lose that desire. He went a year and six months. Sometimes I wonder why, right? Well, it's pretty easy if you look at verse 10, right? For I have much people in this city. Anyone would continue in their work for the Lord if they see results. See? God said, I have much people in the city. He told them the result. That was good motivation. And Paul wouldn't Paul go, Oh, the church of Corinth is very stinking, painful and annoying. But man, if God has much people in the city, I think I'll pastor this church a bit longer. I'm going to keep preaching. I hate writing the second epistle to the Corinthians. They just never learned their lesson, but I'll write that second epistle if I have to. What? You know what? Because uh, that result, that goal, that would make a lot of sense, right? Yeah. That's what keeps you motivated and soul winning, right? Because you see a soul saved and you're just itching for Amen. the next soul. That's Amen. why you want to do track passing again, right? Because you passed out hundreds and you're like, man, I want to do the next one. Amen. Because you saw how the sermon was a blessing to people. That's why you want to keep preaching, right? Be a blessing to people. Your singing was a blessing to people. He keeps you driven because of those results. And that's a blessing. It keeps you continuing. It doesn't make you quit. But I think it's possible that at verse 11, Paul, he didn't continue because of that result. Because of what God said, much people in the city. We should look at the whole text. Look at verse 9 through 10. See, I only read the last part of verse 10. Look at verse 9 through 10. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak. and Hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. No man shall sit on thee to hurt thee. I think. See, the whole point of God's message to Paul was not, I have a lot of people in this city. No, it's just, he encouraged him to keep preaching, teach in the word of God. Yeah. Just do your work. I'm in it. Oh, I'll protect you. Just keep doing your job. Thank you, Lord. I believe that's why Paul continued. Good, right? This is important. A lot of you will continue serving God. Have the fire and desire when you see that result. When you see that shout when you see people having heart stirred up for the lord soul saved and good but you do know this it don't happen every day you don't get that and when that don't come to you when that don't come to you you go back to ground zero you lost your fire and desire why cuz you don't see that result that's not why you should that's not why you should quit You don't continue because of results. Like Paul, you know what would make you continue? I am doing what God told me to do in my work. Just knowing that should motivate and drive you to continue soul winning in spite of rejections, to continue preaching in spite of no altar calls, to keep teaching in spite of people getting offended about a doctrinal matter. To keep serving the Lord In spite of people pushing you away And trying to discourage you No, but something still drives you Motivates you to continue And it's not the results because it's been zero It's because I've done my work for the Lord Nothing makes you feel satisfied By the end of the day More than a hundred souls getting saved Is (sighs) I've done my work for the Lord today That's why you're unsatisfied for the day. A lot of you don't see that motivation. I've done my work for the Lord today. Shouldn't that make you happy? Shouldn't that make you thrill? Well, I got zero results, zero results, zero results, and then people think little of me, belittle me, and stuff like that, even Bible-believing Christians. No, no, you've done your work for the Lord. Who cares what people say? Who cares about the results in the situation? You've done your work for the Lord. Man, that should make you happy. You know what? You know what I want? You know what I want more than just results? Is that how many, how many of my efforts did I give to the Lord? Then I feel satisfied. I've accomplished my purpose. It's not that every seat is filled, but my effort. How hard did I preach it effectively? How hard did I work for the people here? How hard did I love for the brethren? How hard did I pray? That effort should satisfy me, not the result. You know what should satisfy me? Well, when you get zero results, when you get persecuted, when you suffer, when bad things happen, when, you're tr- when things are hindering your goal for the Lord, why would I be satisfied? No, you should. You know why? Suffering shows how, much, how many scars I have for Jesus for that day. Yeah. But if I have no suffering that day but just a result... I have zero scars to show to my Savior. It was too easy for me to bring the result to the Savior. I want to come and listen, man. You know what I want to come at the judgment seat of Christ? I want to come in with my hands bloody, wrinkled, used, used. I want to come and preach and not at my best, my energy, but broken, used. Used. Show that at the judgment seat of Christ. My scar. This is, wow, Lord! What makes me prouder to show off to my Savior than all the yeah. than the altars filled is all the bruises and the scars that I have. Jesus shows me His nail scarred hands, and I can show Him, hey, hey, hey! It's not as much as that, but look, I can put it kind of next to yours and show you I got some got some mark. Why is it suffering makes us lose our goals when suffering should encourage us further in our goals? Amen. Suffering made us accomplish our goal that day. Amen. Suffering made us prove, Lord, I suffered for you. I got a mark for you. I got a battle scar for you. That person cussed me out, but I did it for you. Keep going. Nobody listened to me and they thought little of Christianity, but I did it for you. That's what I want at the judgment seat of Christ. Why do you want to bring results? Why is it all the time results? Why is it not your sufferings for the Lord? Wouldn't anyone be proud to show those battle scars to him? Why do we whine, complain, and run away because of suffering? Why isn't it something we can proudly receive and say, I got something, I earned something, I accomplished finally something, I got scars. If you are in a workplace, or if you're studying for a final exam, if there's one thing you know is, you could try your best all you want in that final exam, but guess what? If you made mistakes, sorry, buddy, you made mistakes, and it will be a B or a C or an F, no matter how much you put your work or effort into it, all right? It will be that way no matter what. The, the bosses or the teachers, the professors, they're not looking for, you know, oh, I, but I tried hard, so you should give me an A. <laughs> no, you made a mistake here. In the workplace, that ain't going to work. They're looking for somebody who has potential. Who can meet up the job standard. You can cry and why? oh, but I worked hard, I went through sleepless hours. Then boss is saying, sorry, you just don't fit for this business. They don't care about your effort, your work. They care about the result. There is only one boss in all of history and all the universe who doesn't care about your result. He cares more about your effort more than your result. Only one boss in all the world and all of human history. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He could care less about your result if you hardly put an effort to it. And he don't care if you're booming his business. Or if you're an A-grade Bible-believing preacher and teacher of the Word of God. He could care less about that buddy. with Your A-grade street preacher and so He could care less, bud, about your result. He wants to see your effort. Amen. That's the only boss and teacher who cares about your effort. You would get psyched. You would be appreciative if the boss hired you, if the teacher gave you an A, no matter how many mistakes you made on that exam, but just because you did an effort. Right. Right. Boss keeps hiring you, not because of like, all the results and you get pressure, but because you work hard. Yeah. That would bring the greatest joy. Why can't you do that with Jesus? I don't understand why you can't do that with Jesus. That should be the greatest joy to you is that not the results, but the effort. But we all are blinded by result, 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 not effort. You know what your goal should be? Not the result numbers. It should be your level of effort. The Bible says, for God shall bring every work into judgment. Work. And the fire shall try every man's work, work of what sort it is. Who's the only boss that's discouraging you from doing your efforts, that only demands results? Who's that cruel, merciless boss? That's you. Your boss ain't like that. That boss ain't like that. He, he, he says, hey child, why are you so discouraged? Why are you crying? You you worked hard. Here's an A. Here's a pay raise at the judgment. You worked hard. Glory to God. You are your biggest discourager. That's right. Guilty. Why don't you switch bosses today, huh? Every head bowed, every eye shut.